Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, part of the Athletic Hockey Show Network. I like to say the vast network of podcasts at The Athletic. Pierre Lebrun, as we talked about last week, we're now in it. The playoffs are started and even the North Division finally going to catch up starting this evening with Edmonton, Winnipeg. And then, of course, tomorrow on Thursday, Montreal, Toronto, the much anticipated first round series. How have you felt in general uh, about watching the the games as they've unfolded? Because, of course, all the games so far have been American-based teams, and all of the uh, those teams have fans on, on you know in some numbers. And we're going to hear with from uh, Don Waddell, uh, Carolina Hurricanes GM, uh, who at the very last minute helped to get twelve thousand fans in PNC Arena for Game One of Carolina Nashville. What's it been like for you to watch the first few games, pal? Well, it's interesting. The, the first game in each of the series we've seen so far was so hectic like we've seen over, over the last several years where it's like the, everyone's trying to take each other's head off and it's just <laughs> unbelievable. And then game two, I thought last night a lot of the second games were like, okay, let's be serious. We know we can't play that way the entire series or else none of us are going to survive. <laughs> so so it calmed down. It was still terrific, but I think it has to, right? I mean, <laughs> game, game one of uh, Florida-Tampa was unsustainable in terms of <laughs> – what might have happened to each roster had they played uh, an entire series that way. So that calmed down a bit. Um, you know, I thought same for, you know, I thought Minnesota Vegas was all about the hockey as well last night. But boy, Vegas needed that one. Um, that's going to be a really good series. But <clears throat> it is weird when one division hasn't taken part yet. So I think that's hurt yeah. the overall feeling of the start of the playoffs because usually when you have all 16 teams playing within the first 48 hours, you really feel it, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so we're, we're missing out on that this year. And I also can't help but think that because, you know, I for years have said the Stanley Cup should be awarded by May 31st in a normal season. And I'm going to hit that drum till the day I die. <laughs> but it does, it, it weighs on me that this is going into July. Like, I, I, I think, I think the interest is going to wane over time here. I think the first yeah. round is going to be awesome. I think a lot of the second round. But I think a lot of out-of-market fans whose teams are out I don't think there'll be as much, oh, I should check in on this. We're down to four teams. I don't think that's going to be the, the case as much this year because of summer hockey. And we saw the ratings last year for the bubble. They were pretty low, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so that's too bad, but that's, you know, that's the pandemic. That's no one's fault. But, uh, you know, hopefully if, if there's some teams with huge followings that make it to the final four, that'll help salvage it. Well, and I mean, the the one thing that we're guaranteed and which we, you know, we haven't been guaranteed, of course, uh, any other year is that there will be a Canadian team in the final mm-hmm. four. So, you know, that will mitigate it at some on some level, I think. What do you think it'll be like to to watch? Do you think it will change? You know, again, and, you know, I think of watching Carolina and Nashville in, in game one and, and the two games in Florida where they had, I think there were 9,000. Um, right, you could really and, feel those fans in, oh, in, in South Florida. It, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, the you know, even Vegas last night. And I can't I know that you've talked to Bill Foley and and, the, and everyone's trending towards numbers. I, I, I was curious to see, though, that I see Montreal is hoping to have. And I don't have it in front of me. It's a small number. What? About 3, It'll be about uh, 2,500 because it's 12%. Right. And uh, so, but not until game six if, if the series goes that far. So, right. But I well, wonder what 2,500 will, will, will sound like uh, acoustically. That is a huge rink, the Bell Center. Yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, we're, you know, obviously they don't put them near the player's bench, but uh, it's better than nothing. It'd be the first fans in the North Division. Yeah. It's um, crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, let's hope there is a game six if for no other reason. 
All right. Uh, I want to. We are going to touch on Florida Tampa because there's a lot of stuff going on, and I thought you wrote about it very eloquently. And I do want to touch on it because it's an important issue, I think. But I, I want to start with Minnesota Vegas and how you know. Again, it's the you gotta you gotta stay up late, right? You gotta yeah. you gotta be there. But oh my gosh, those first two games, and even though there hasn't been a ton of scoring, how good. Was Mark Andre Fleury last night? Because that game is over. I was looking at you know at one point in the second period. I think uh, Minnesota was had basically double the shots that uh, that Vegas had, and Mark Andre Fleury was unbelievable, and he kept Vegas in that game and allowed them to come back. and And, and you alluded to it, but. Uh, absolutely had to win that game. Can't go back to Minnesota down 0-2 if you're Vegas, I don't think. Um, what do you make of the series so far? And I think we knew Minnesota was going to be a challenge, right? They played this way and they played Vegas very tough all year during the regular season. But man, that's to me, that's it's so compelling to watch. Yeah, it really is. And uh, Minnesota just has the, Vegas's number as far as making things difficult on them. And, and this series feels like a toss-up. Uh which is incredible when you consider how many teams, how many people have picked Vegas to win the cup and, and, and how deep Vegas is, but Minnesota's in their mind a bit and you can see it as the play evolves in these two games. Um, So a huge win though, that could change everything with that, with that victory. And you know, the Marchesso scoring 18 seconds right after a dumb, but two, I mean, here's Minnesota winning, stealing game one and then opening the scoring. Right. And then you're like, oh, but then, you know, Vegas getting that quick goal, boy, was that, are we going to look back in the series and say that was a huge moment? But, um, you know, the other thing that I, I can't help think about is, is uh, Kirill Kaprizov, the amazing, talented rookie for Minnesota, you know, hasn't, hasn't registered a point yet. And, and I always think about how skilled rookies, when they get their first NHL playoff yeah. experience, and obviously he's had KHL experience, but... This is the NHL playoffs, and I'm sure he's wondering, like a lot of people, wait a minute, they stop calling the penalties when the playoffs start, <laughs> which 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 affects a player like him more than any other, almost. But but it's part of the learning curve for young skilled players when the playoffs come, right? Uh, that things are different. You know, I, I think about how the Leafs have learned so much. I think from all their first round playoff exits over the last few years, and how I think Matthews and Marner are more ready for this than ever before because it's a different game. And, you know, I saw a lot of people on Twitter complaining last night, you know, how come they're not calling penalties? I think we have to stop. <laughs> like if you haven't accepted by now that it's going to be different in the playoffs, then it is what it is. I'm not saying you should like it. I, I wish they call the rule book as well, but we know what's coming every year. Yeah. And I think the teams that plan for that are the ones that win championships, you know, Tampa going out, and getting Coleman and Goudreau a year ago. Uh, the Leafs going out and, and, and you know, getting Thornton and Bogosian and Simmons. What do you think Kyle Dubas had in mind? I, I, I mean, you know, so the reality is it's a different game in the playoffs. There are going to be fewer penalties. There's going to be more obstruction allowed. So I hope for Kaprizov that it's a quick learning curve and he, and he puts his dent in the series before it's over. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so the other <clears throat> the series that is, uh, you know, in the wacky uh, meter is near the red zone, is that Boston Washington series, and it started literally within the first, I guess, twelve or thirteen minutes, whatever it was, when Vitek Vanacek left uh, game one with an injury, and Craig Anderson, the forgotten netminder, a guy. It was a, it was great to watch Craig Anderson come in though, because the last time he played in the playoffs. Double overtime game seven against uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins back when Ottawa was a playoff team. It was, and you know, I think Craig Anderson has acquitted himself very well. Two games, both going to overtime. Uh, Caps obviously winning game one in Boston, tying the series. Now headed back to Boston, but now Lars Eller out for the Capitals. We still are not exactly clear on what will happen with Evgeny Kuznetsov. He started to skate again. He's out of the COVID-19 protocols. What about Ilya Samsonov, both of whom were disciplined by the team for tardiness and I assume other stuff. And and man, and now that really, you know, like... Well, what do you? And, I mean, it's and, crazy. And I mean, you know, I I don't want to, you know, not stress the fact that you know none of this is official, but we believe that uh, Kuznetsov actually tested positive, so we wish him the best in his recovery. But it seems like he's skating, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, but Correct. at the root of all this is that him and Samsonov are obviously, you know, broke team protocols in some way, right? I mean, that's that's why they were disciplined. And, Correct. And now it hurts their team. Um, yeah. You know, so hopefully we see those guys back soon here. But, yeah, that's, that's a big moment. And, and you know the Bruins had that in them. They just, boy, they had it just in time because Washington was that close being up to nothing. But I think that one's going seven. It smells like it. Yeah, it's I, to me that's been a, and you talk about physicality. Now it did drop off a little bit in in uh, in game two, but boy, two big heavy teams, and and you know you just wonder how the Caps will do. You know, we often talk about the playoffs as being a war of attrition, and already you know the Caps are up against it. So it'll be interesting to see what Peter Laviolette does with his lineup, and if those guys become available, and what happens, you know, when they come back, and given all the the backstory there, it's, uh, it's mm. crazy. And you know, listen, Craig Anderson. You know, yeah, good for oh him. My God. That's it's, amazing. Yeah, it's great. All right, so let's uh, let's get. Uh, we've sort of been those were sort of the appetizers, but you alluded to Florida Tampa, um, epic, epic first game. The Tampa coming back to win on a late uh, goal point, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the uh, point, on the breakaway, on the breakaway. Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, uh, and the change. Let's start with that because I was. I just love how Joel Quenville was like. I'm coaching. I don't. I'm going to do stuff the way I want to do it. And so Sergey Bavrovsky, who started Game One and was okay, All right. and now Chris uh, Drieger in in Game Two gave up two early goals, and, and the Panthers could never quite get back in it. Uh, and then, so they had to Tampa down uh, 2 What What'd you make of the goaltending change uh, before we get to the other stuff? Man, oh man, ten million a year, Sergey Bobrovsky. Oh, <laughs> that deal just never aged well from the second day and in. in after they did that in July, and, and even though it made sense, but I, I think that uh, I just don't think you're going to see a goalie get paid that ever again. But um, that's crazy. And and you know when you think of the bigger picture and less about the series for a second, yeah, Spencer Knight there, and the next few years, I mean, what does Florida do with Sergey Bobrovsky? I mean, it's it's fascinating, and and really you're not faced with that decision until Spencer Knight needs to get paid, I guess, but. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is well, fascinating well, stuff. Well, and Drieger's <laughs> about to be UFA, right? Well, like, he's I mean, obviously gone. I mean, uh, you know, unless yeah, you I mean, do I, something somehow miraculously with Bobrovsky this offseason, but in a flat cap world, good luck. I mean, I, I don't know what that is. Yeah, no, I, so, I agree. It's, so you're losing you're losing Drieger for sure, and good for him. Continues to add to his case in free agency. Um, yeah. You know, does he continue to add to his case to Ron Francis? I wonder. Who knows? Oh yes, I would. But, I uh, keep thinking that that would be that would mm-hmm. be a great spot. I want to, and we're we're going to talk some uh, Seattle in a few minutes before we uh, take a break and talk to Don Waddell. But I, I, I thought uh, you wrote a piece because it 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 uh, you know I mean you knew this was coming right I mean as the playoffs are approaching and you know that Kucherov Nikita Kucherov and uh, Steven Stamkos who had been in, injured had been on LTIR um, during the regular season when the salary cap is in place and the the moment that the salary cap when the playoffs begin the salary cap goes away and since why mm-hmm. you know you see players brought up from the AHL and you know it's, that this happens every year. But what doesn't happen every year is that a former Hart Trophy winner uh, and one of the best players on the planet steps back into uh, the playoff lineup for his first game of the season, and Kucherov was unbelievable. I thought, you know, a little bit more. There was a different game in game two, so he wasn't quite as Oh, but dominant, I thought he was, he, was good. he made a he, lot of clever plays, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's no. amazing that they went the whole year with, without this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote the piece because I felt from the national perspective. I mean, Joe Smith is an excellent work detailing what's going on with that, but you know, I think that <laughs> fans from other markets are like, "Oh, well, you covered the Lightning," you know. So, which is unfair to Joe, who's a total pro. But I, but I did feel that I had to jump in from a national perspective and 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 you know have the people and have Bill Daly say for the last time we looked into this, you know. And, yeah. And and I asked Bill Zito if he you know felt like the Panthers were being cheated, and believe me, he was earnest in his response. He didn't just say that for. For yeah. show, like the Panthers are like, no, man, it is what it is. That's the system. Um, and I thought Stan Bowman's take on it was so fascinating because he lived Agreed. through all this controversy with Patrick Kane in 2015. So I, I'm glad with how the piece turned out. I knew what was going to happen in terms of reaction. <laughs> well, you mean how uh, every everyone agreed with everything that was said and it was a yeah. good rational discussion. Right? Oh, man, <laughs> it, this is a real sensitive hot button topic. But that's, you know, that's what we get paid for. So I, I 
there's really nothing else to be said now. I mean, Dan Milstein, the agent for Kucherov, who not only thought after talking to doctors that Kucherov wouldn't be available until early June, but um, but actually <laughs> kind of astonishing. I quoted him saying he, he he's worried that Kucherov came back too early anyway. Yeah. So now, again, there are people around the league that think Kucherov could have come back a month ago. Are they wrong? I don't know. I mean, obviously the team denies that. Yeah. Um, I, there were certainly some front office executives that I texted with that are uncomfortable with the optics of this. And right. one GM in particular who wants, again, to bring this up in a, in a, in among the GMs. Not so much just this incident, but, you know, the Leafs are under the microscope for the way they massage the trade deadline and LTI. Yeah. And, you know, the Leafs come up just as often as Tampa does in, in my conversations with other teams. And I think the, the point is, you know, it's not just about Tampa and Kucherov for some other teams, but but is the system working at its best right now? And, and really, that's that's up to Bill Daly and Gary Bettman. But, you know, when you look at the total amount of dollars now on the ice for both Toronto and Tampa, it's, it's, it's way above the cap. But, <laughs> but they, you know, they use the system, right? I mean, I yeah. think what the Leafs did was super clever, the deadline with Riley Nash and, yeah. and everything else. But, again, is it the spirit of the CBA, you know, blah, blah, blah. So... There will be more conversations about all this as time moves on. I don't know what the solutions are. I mean, I know that a lot of fans have reached out to me and said, well, why is there no salary cap in the playoffs? It's a good question. Um, and, and I asked Bill Daly that question, although I I hampered the answer by by putting in my own answer when I asked him. So I should have done that. That was a rookie mistake. But but I said, is it as simple as the fact that the players don't get paid in the playoffs, right? Their, their last paycheck is in the last week of the regular season. And he said that's one of many reasons, interestingly. Right. Um, So, because certainly if there was a salary cap in the playoffs, then you can imagine what a different ballgame that would be. But, uh, you know, listen, within the context of the way the system is now, I, I, at the end of the day, I think you have to just, everyone who has a conspiracy theory on this has to let it go, man. Yeah. It is what it is. I mean, Tampa would have much preferred to have Kucherov in their lineup this year, as, as Stan Bowman mention it is a really thoughtful answer to me. It cost them home ice advantage potentially that they didn't have their best player. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, that's now, true. It doesn't, doesn't look like it's going to hurt them against Florida <laughs> perhaps, but who knows if they play Carolina next, if it does. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, to me, it's, it's, it's the optics, right? Just, and you mentioned the optics this. Just, brutal, it, for sure. Yeah, just, yeah, it just doesn't look good. And, but, but as to me, it's within the, Maybe it doesn't matter what it looks like as long as the, the people within the machinery, as long as the teams, you know, if there's a way to, you know, to, you know, to tinker with it. OK, have that discussion. But yeah, yeah. Like, I, and again, I thought Billy Zito's comments were really telling because if he oh, was, he would him. not have spoken yeah. to you if, if he felt differently. Your conversation with him, either you wouldn't have it or he because he wouldn't say that if he didn't believe it. Right. Totally. I mean, that's what and, I think. And that's so. the kind of guy he is, too. For exactly. Those who don't know. Yeah. I mean. No, he would have said, I'm not touching that. And that's fine. Right. But he's like, no, I think he was actually surprised this was a, I mean, it's not something they're talking about with the Panthers, believe me. No, good. Um, All right. We're going to move on to a couple of other topics before we chat with Don Waddell. Um, Interesting uh, decision out of Detroit uh, with Steve Eiserman confirming that Jeff Blasio will return Mm -hmm. as head coach of the Red Wings. I I was happy to see that. Yeah, exactly. you know what? Yeah, I you know Dan Bilesma is not going to return as part of that coaching staff. Um, it'd be interesting to see if, if if a door opens somewhere else for Dan Bilesma, Stanley Cup winning coach in Pittsburgh, of course. But I, I too was pleased that Jeff Blasio will get another chance. I thought I thought the way Detroit played down the stretch um, really showed some improvement and showed a team that like I think is trending the right way. I don't know how close they are, but I, I thought the way they played. Uh, was encouraging, especially given where they were at a year ago. So were you surprised by it or did you sort of anticipate this might have been the trend? It's sort of neither. I, I touched on this a month ago when I tried to look at all the coaching situations. And the, what I said for Detroit and Blaschel is that I had no feel for it, that I right. certainly could make the case that I feel like the wings who have this massive organic rebuild going um, have shown good signs under Blaschel and that he deserves to be brought back. But I could also make the argument if Steve Eisman had opted to go that route that it's time for a new voice, that Blasio's been there for a bit and that the rebuild is going to go to the next level. 
it really was a 50-50 proposition for me as far as, as defending the decision. But I think what's key in the, in the decision is the term of the extension, two years. Yeah. Because I think that's the only way that Blasio can, can stick around is by agreeing to such a short extension because that really gives, I think, Steve Eisenman the option after two more years to say, okay, where are we at in this rebuild? Right. And then it may be that Blasio comes back yet again, but that may also be the point where he says – you know, you brought this program along really well, but now it's time for the, you know, so on and so on. Who knows? But I think getting Blashill to do two years as opposed to the normal three to four year extensions that we see for coaches, that was probably lost in the news uh, yep. because that's probably the most important part of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating just to see, you know, there are a couple of teams like that, right? Like I thought Ottawa and, and I thought DJ Smith in his second year, really, again, a team that you can see sort of oh, the yeah. direction they're heading. And so, okay, where there's, you know, you see progress from Detroit, you see progress from Ottawa. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the California teams, all of whom missed now two years in a row in the playoffs. But it, to me, that's one of the fascinating parts when we get back to normal next fall, mm -hmm. I knock, you know, knock on wood, you know, do we back to normal? Do we start to see now a little bit more of, you know, those, those teams really actually trending forward in an well, 82 game hey, schedule? What's interesting is all three, well, we had Doug Wilson on our podcast last yeah. week, so we don't have to speculate. I mean, he's he talked about going out and using his cap space and making a few tangible moves, right? Yep. Uh, including in goal, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, Rob Blake and his season-ending media veil with the Kings media, and we read more about it with Lisa Dillman, but he's not making any bones about it, right? He's, the Kings are going to be aggressive, and, the, and it's one of the reasons why we've listed LA as one of the teams to watch on Jack Eichel, but right. it could be all kinds of other things. So LA really wants to act. I mean, their their rebuild looks pretty good. I mean, they, they, they've got a lot of talent, both already arrived and more coming, but they want to add to it, and they, I think they want to fast-forward the, the, the finish line. Um, and then Anaheim, I think Bob Murray for sure wants to – He's got cap space and he's going to be active. So it's interesting that I think all three California teams, even though they're in, they're going at it a little differently. Like I think LA is the true organic rebuild. I think Anaheim's been, done a bit of both. And then San Jose's trying to transition and a reset. So different paths, but all three are trying to get better at the same time, which might think might make things pretty interesting if all three are successful and, Bring us back to, of course, the the great years that we've had out there when all three were competitive at the same time. Those are great years. Yeah, good point. All right, one last topic before we take a break and chat with Don Waddell, GM and president of the Carolina Hurricanes. Interesting discussion. You you touched on it early with the New York Rangers and uh, the possible fit with uh, Gerard Gallant as uh, has uh, Chris Jury's first coaching hire as the new GM president of the New York Rangers, but also this week now, uh, and Gerard Gallant um, chatting before heading off to the Worlds where he will uh, coach Team Canada. But Rick Tockett's name comes up in not just with the Rangers, but also with Seattle, which I think is interesting now. And I wonder whether you feel, you know, as we, you know, team, you know, obviously the teams that aren't in the playoffs, we know that, and the soon teams will be eliminated. Whether you feel that we'll see an acceleration in terms of what mm. Seattle might want to do in terms of hiring a first coach there, and because there is some, there are some openings, right? I mean, Buffalo has yet to decide what they're going to do. Columbus. So, do you think we're, you know, that Ron France is like, okay, let's we're, we're going to swing into gear here, or what? What do you make of all that? Yeah, I mean, I think Ron Francis will want to talk to four or five candidates, uh, be methodical about it. Zero surprise that Rick Tockett's one of them. I, you know, I kind of speculated that again in that piece a month ago that that might be a possibility because, of course, they know each other, right? They played together in Pittsburgh and not only teammates, but I think line mates, right? On those great Pittsburgh teams. So that was always going to make sense. It doesn't necessarily mean that he ends up the guy. I, I, I can't, I don't have a gut feel for that yet. Um, but knowing the way Ron Francis goes about things, very methodical. So, um, you know, and, and I think certainly, as I tweeted over the weekend, Gallant's interview with the Rangers left a really positive impression on the Rangers, so uh, on Chris Jury. So right. we'll see whether that ultimately means he gets the call back uh, after the World Championships. But, um, yeah, so some interesting things. You know, Arizona's, I think, wants to go with the up-and-comer. 
that seems to be their route. And I think they're going to want to talk to as many as 10 different people. They're going to be really, I think Bill Armstrong is going to be really uh, taking his time with his first ever coaching hire as a, as a first time GM. Yeah. So interesting off season and we'll see what happens obviously with some teams that lose in the first round. Yep. Exactly. Uh, and, and it's a crazy time in the coaching world. Uh, you know, as I wrote, um, Entering next season, as of now, now some of that I think will change this off season. But as of now, entering next season, there are eleven coaches entering the final year <laughs> of their deals. So it's quite a turbulent time in the coaching industry, and I think a lot of it's been affected by the pandemic in terms of a lot of guys not getting extensions yet, and so on. We're still waiting to see what happens with Travis Green. I mean, Vancouver, yeah. Darren Dreger dropped a bomb yesterday by saying the Sydney Twins or in talks with Canucks ownership about a potential role. Boy, I hope that happens. And I think all signs are pointing to it. I, I think those guys, iconic, smart, humble. I, I think, like, if you, if you step back for a second and think how angry the Canucks fan base has been this year, what is the number one thing you could do as ownership to try and appease that? Well, bring in the twins. <laughs> I think, yes, for sure. Yeah, but Travis Green needs a deal, and, and it's crazy to me that that hasn't happened yet. It should have. I know there's been talks, but they haven't got to the right number. I hope they do. I mean, if they don't sign Travis Green, that's a serious miss, man, in my, in my, in my books. Well, and, you know, talk about an organization that, you know, with the success in the playoffs in the bubble last summer, and, and I think a real – like, I, I get that. You know, the whole Toffoli thing didn't unfold the way it probably should have from that, from Vancouver's point of view. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's critical that Travis Green comes back and continues his work because I don't – I think this is a team that can, that can bounce back. Like, I I think this is a team that could find itself right back in in a playoff spot and, and, and be ready to, to, you know, get it back on track. But if you're changing coaches again and new systems, like, it just – it, it's all about consistency, and if you don't have it, it, it just it's hard to it's hard to compete with the big boys. That's just that's the reality. So. All right, good job by you on this first segment. I, I'm feeling I'm feeling pumped. I'm real. I'm excited to chat with Don Waddell. Yeah, wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. As promised, join now by Don Waddell, President, GM, Alternate Governor, Jack of All Trades of the Carolina Hurricanes, a finalist for the NHL's GM of the Year Award back in 2018-19. Have I, Don? Did I cover all the the, the high points? Uh, have, did I cover it? We got you. We got you lined up pretty good here. Yeah, I think you uh, went overboard with it, but I uh, appreciate being on the uh, show with you guys and look forward to it. Yeah, well, our, our timing, Don, is impeccable uh, because as you and, and Pierre and I are chatting, you're in between game one and game two 
of your opening round series Central Division against the Nashville Predators. And I must admit, I was a bit surprised as the lead up to game one at PNC Arena, all of a sudden, 12,000 fans, Kaniacs, arriving at PNC Arena. Um, What's it like to go into that building with that number of fans? Because it happened very quickly, correct? Uh, Discussions with the local health authorities and and government officials where you were able to more than double uh, maybe what you were expecting for game one. Yeah, we we were in contact last week with the uh, governor's office and with the uh, state health department. And we got the word about two o'clock on Friday. At that time, we had 5,000 tickets sold, which was our capacity. And they gave us the opportunity. Actually, the, the state of North Carolina has opened it wide up. We could have a full house, but the NHL still got protocols that we have to meet. And so that took us to, from 5,000 to 12,000. So we put 7,000 seats on sale starting Saturday morning. And by Monday morning, we were sold out. Well, that's interesting. Don. I didn't realize, I thought it all went by local guidelines because uh, I interviewed Bill Foley, uh, the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, a few weeks ago. And he said they were working on getting to 100% capacity, uh, hopefully by June 1st, which would be the second round of the playoffs. So, you know, it, obviously, if they get there, they're down to Minnesota right now. But um, so so it's not just as easy as saying, hey, your local health authorities say, go for it. You have to, there's, there's an NHL component as well. Correct. It's all about air quality right now with the NHL. So... Um, you have to have it's CFMs, they call it, and it's way above my uh, degree from Northern Michigan University. But uh, <laughs> you know, so you have to bring in outside air, but you can't just bring in outside air. It's got to be ch- uh, chilled air and no humidity because of the ice conditions. So right now, you have to do all these measurements by your engineers, and we're so every building is different. Every place is going to be different. So we're allowed right now twelve thousand uh, through the NHL. We uh, made a decision yesterday that we are going to add, uh, uh, we're bringing in a 500 ton, ton chiller and it'll take about 10 days to get it all, all the piping and everything done. So hopefully if we're fortunate enough to win the first round and go to second round, we'll be able to increase our tenants by another 4,000 people. Wow. Oh, wow. What's that, what, what's that moment like for you last night, Don? I mean, you've been through the whole, you know, the whole gamut the last year and a half, of course, the uh, bubble situation in Toronto and the playing round victory over the Rangers and then losing to the Bruins. And if I'm not mistaken, I was trying to make sure I had the math right, but the last home playoff game would have been game four of the Eastern Conference final in 2019. Is my memory correct? And and if so, what's it like to be back in that building and to have that number of fans there? And, And of course, to have your team come out with a victory. Yeah, no, it's outstanding. Your, your your numbers are correct. It was we had nineteen thousand people here for our last home playoff game, and I got to be honest, the twelve thousand people that were there because of the way we seated everybody and really filled the lower bowl, it really felt like there was nineteen thousand people there. So no, it was it was exciting. Uh, I can't tell you how excited our Kenya fans were to come back in the arena. Um, and if you noticed, each time Nashville scored. Uh, they came up at, at the opening the next face off. They came up, all stood up and had a standing ovation, waving their towels, just getting us back, uh, letting our players know they're there and supporting them. And it certainly, I think, paid dividends for us uh, to be able to win the game uh, with that kind of support. And, you know, going back to the trade deadline, which was just over a month ago, Don, you guys were pretty quiet, and uh, which is, hasn't always been the case. I mean, the year before, you were super busy, made a bunch of deals. What was your philosophy that, you know, because let's be honest, Scott and I have talked about this a lot. I, I actually do think the trade, trade deadline is overrated as far as determining who's got, you know, how much it's going to help you win a cup or not. I think often it's cosmetic more than not. But, uh, you know, Tampa had a good deadline a year ago. They won the cup. I mean, what's the pressure like to see what's out there and at the end of the day not do a whole lot? Obviously, you got the – you added the big guy from Anaheim and he's made his presence felt, but – but generally speaking, you know, no block, no blockbusters. Yeah, no. If you go back a year ago at the trade deadline, you know, Hamilton was out for the, basically the season. Pesci was out for the season. And we really wanted another right-hand centerman. And so we were fortunate enough to get uh, Trocek from Florida and Brady Shea from the Rangers. And we added Batson from uh, New Jersey at that time. 
So there was more of a need. This, this year, we really felt if we were healthy that we didn't have any big holes. Uh, we wanted another right-hand shot defenseman and getting uh, Hawk and Pock, uh, uh filled that void for us. But, you know, we, we Is he eight foot tall or is it just the way he looks on TV? <laughs> he is one tall human being, I can tell you that. But So, you know, we, we as every GM does, you know, you, you stay in touch with teams and that, but at the end of the day, they really, we didn't feel there was something that, uh, you know, and Cap comes into play, that we were, anything that was really going to make a difference for us. Uh, you know, we could add some more depth guys maybe, but at the end of the day, we really like our team and so we said, you know what, we're going to roll with it. And we believed in them at the start of the year. So, you know, let's not make a lot of changes. Let's keep going the way we're going. Yeah. Don, it's interesting. You mentioned Dougie Hamilton, uh, one of two uh, high-profile potential unrestricted free agents uh, on your uh, in your organization. I'm not, and I'll ask it as a question. Who do you think fans are more concerned about, the, the future of Dougie Hamilton, who could be a UFA when – Things are all said and done here. Or your head coach, Rod Brindamore. Uh, what's that like for you, As especially now that we're into the playoffs? And my sense is you won't be doing much negotiating uh, in this moment. But uh, are you surprised at how much fans have really sort of uh, been engaged with what's happening, obviously with Dougie, but also with Rod as well? No, because the media uh, makes sure they uh, keep it a daily topic. <laughs> so, um, you know, you have no choice but to have to deal with it on a regular basis. You know, the Dougie Hamilton is easy. J.P. Berry, who represents uh, Dougie, you know, we had some talks early in the season, and well, it's been probably two months now, where we just decided, you know, let's play out the year. We all know we want Dougie back. Dougie likes it here. He's found a good home here. And I know we're going to have a shot to sign him at some point. You know, he might have to see what the market is like out there, what teams are interested. Obviously, in the salary cap world, not all the teams can be, but um, I, I'm confident that we're going to have a, a last look and have an opportunity to bring Dougie back if it all fits, you know, financially. Because, you know, the, the, the cap is a real thing now. And without the cap going up, you know, we got uh, Sebastian Koff that's coming off as an RFA. It's going to have a big uh, increase in his salary. You got Marty Nekash coming off next year. So, you know, you, you can't just play for the moment. You got to plan for, you know, the future also. So I, I'm hopeful that uh, we'll have that opportunity to bring Doug back. You know, the Rod, Rod is very interesting. Rod's a hurricane. I've had great talks with him. Tom Dundon, our owner, has been involved with it. Rod's not going anyplace. We truly believe he's going to stay here. And we've had great talks, uh, no real negative tones, always positive rod wants to coach his hockey team and rod also you know his focus is getting the team ready for the playoffs the last week or so we very small talk about it we all know it's going to get done and it's just a matter of timing and uh when that all happens well there might be some teams out there hoping that you can't get it done eh? (laughs) he's a good coach (laughs) coach he's created a great environment with our players players love to play for him so uh, you know, it's not like we're trying to hide hide the fact that uh, he's done a great job here because he has. And mm-hmm. so, but, you know, we feel confident that he will be the coach of the Hurricanes moving forward. Yeah, I, that, that's where I would put my money. Uh, speaking of my money, as a guy who drafted Peter Mrazek in the NHL Media Fantasy League for the playoffs, uh, there I am watching your team in game one, and it's a rookie, uh, Alex Net- Nedlovich in net. And I knew that that was a possibility, but uh, I guess when you have two strong choices, I, I figured the veteran would get the first crack. So it's interesting that Rod went with the kid. What's, what's your sense of, of having those types of options to start the playoffs? Yeah, it was probably the most talked about thing uh, the last week after we finished in Nashville on that Tuesday. And, you know, there was not a decision made until the day before. Um, you know, we talked every day about it. Coaches spent hours on it. Um, you know, nothing against Peter. You know, Peter had a tough year this year with his injuries and didn't get to play as many games. Um, we think actually practice right for him right now is a plus for him. And, and uh, you know, every playoffs that we've been in so far in the last few years, we've used two goalies. So right. uh, you never know what's going to happen from game to game. But, you know, Ned, if you look at the overall season, um, how he played, you know, he deserved to be the guy to get the first call. So, 
Um, you know, I think we're very fortunate. You know, Peter was out most of the year, and between Ned and James Reimer, they they did a great job to get us first place and put us in a position to have home ice advantage. So, uh, probably surprised for a lot of people internally. You know, it was a tough debate, uh, but at the end of the day, we felt that Ned had done enough this year, and he. You know, we got to remember his first NHL playoff game, but he did win a Calder Trophy a few years ago with, out in Charlotte with our farm team. And I've always said, it doesn't matter what level you're playing at, when you get to play for championships, there's a lot of pressure on that. So mm-hmm. he, he played in pressure games before, and we think he performed uh, well last night to give us the opportunity to win the game. And as a quick follow-up, sorry, Scotty, the interesting thing is the injury to Mrazek also not only gave – you know, Nedlovich some playing time, but changed his status as a free agent at, at, by the end of it, right? He was, uh, <laughs> yeah, he had to play 20, uh, he needs 20, he needed 27 NHL, uh, games and coming in the year, he had five, I believe it was. So, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year, didn't think it was ever going to get there. And then, uh, Peter went down and, you know, they're rotating pretty much him and uh, Reimer. And before you know it, he was at, uh, 19, 20 games and, uh, you know, got to what, what we needed to change the status from a UFA Group Six to a restricted free agent. Right. That's good. I mean, and again, it, not insignificant. Not only because he looks like a real promising young goalie, but you, your other two guys are UFA. So nice to have at least some some control over one of the three. I guess heading into the offseason. Yeah, I, I, you know, with this franchise, the last three years since Tom took over, I think goaltending every summer is the hottest topic that we go through um, because of the, the the free agent situation. And, you know, everybody always wants us to upgrade our goaltending. And we were pretty confident that last year, last summer, that, you know, we, we couldn't do any better. I mean, there wasn't better goalies out there, but we liked the tandem. Uh, have, you know, we thought going in the year, it was going to be more Reimer and Mrazek, and then Peter gets hurt and that comes in there. So, you know, Every every off season, I know that's going to be another hot topic this summer for everybody to talk about. But uh, one way or another, we've always seemed to figure it out. And we've got our goaltending. You know, the last three years, you know, we lost last year to Boston in the uh, after the play-in round with the Rangers. And I can tell you that every series we lost, it hasn't been because of our goaltending. So our goaltending's been fine. They may not have the shiny names that uh, some people want, but they are capable of doing the job for us. Don, since you took over as a GM in uh, May of 2018, I mean, the, the fortunes of this team have changed really dramatically. That uh, playoff run in 2019, first time in the playoffs in a decade, um, disappointing and against Boston, as you just noted. But th- this Hurricanes team hits the playoffs, uh, and not just because I picked them to win the cup. I had them as my cup winner at the start of the season, and 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 that stuck with that as we were heading into the playoffs. But the expectations on this team are different than than maybe they've been, you know, going back to you know the year that they won the cup in oh five oh six after the lockout. And I wonder if that changes if you notice that, you know, changes the dynamics. Does it change how Rod has to approach? this team in this playoff year, does there, does that kind of expectation, you know, have an impact on a really young, talented team or what, what's your take on that? I think for sure it does. Uh, you know, I can remember going back 18, 19, when we were playing Washington in the first round and I remember the, uh, all the gambling sites had us as a 20% chance to win that series. Then we go down 2-0 in Washington to start the series. And I think we went to a 95% chance of losing right. and we found a way to come back. So, you know, sometimes being the underdog is uh, a, a fortunate thing because you catch teams maybe uh, thinking that they're going to go through you easier than, than it appears. But so I think we, we had to approach a little bit differently this year, winning our division, you know, everybody knows where we played, had a good year, you know, so we're the team that people want to knock off. So I think you do approach it differently. But I also think what you said, though, with our young players, most of these guys now, we're fortunate to have a significant amount of good young players, but they all had a chance to play the last three years in playoffs. And we all know playoff hockey is much different than regular season hockey. So it's not like they're going into this playoff without that experience where they were in 18-19. So I think we can build off all those uh, playoffs we had previous years. 
Well, I picked the Carolina Colorado Cup final, so now you, you may never want to speak to us again. It's never good when Scotty and I are on the same page, but although I did pick the Avalanche to win the cup at least, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it feels like you guys have taken the steps to be ready for a run, you know, like it, it, it's not all, that often really that a team just gets to get into their first playoff in a long time and it all lines up, but uh. And, and, you know, and I, I think to me, you guys play a brand of game. One of the reasons I picked Colorado Carolina, and what do I know, but is you guys remind me a lot of each other. When I watch the Avs play and I watch you guys play, Don, a lot of the comments I get from opposing coaches and opposing players is that you guys swarm the other team. Colorado gets that a lot, but I, but I watching you guys again in game one, same thing. The, the sort of the swarming element, like it feels like you're playing with an extra skater. And is that, I mean, how, how important is that as, as sort of part of your brand as the way you guys play? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we, we talk about it all the time. We talk about it. We're adding players uh, in the mix over the last few years. We want players that play with tempo. You know, it, it, everybody talks about skating fast players. Fast players are great, but how you play it, and, you know, we may not have all the best skaters in the world, but the tempo that we try to play with and how we want to be on the puck all the time. And um, there's something that, you know, what Rod preaches on every day. It's just, you know, we're, we want to be on the puck. We think we're a quick team. Uh, we can forecheck well. And, you know, if we play that up style uh, tempo, we think we're going to make it very hard on uh, teams, particularly in our own zone. And, you know, the one thing about Rod is he, he always wants to, he doesn't want to change. Doesn't matter if we're up by a goal, down by a goal. He, he likes to play that same style to try to, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that guys stay within the program. Well, listen, we'll we'll let you go here, Don. But in but for my final question, um, you know, you you've been at this a long time, and uh, and I know how much you enjoy it, and you seem to have the energy of a forty year old. Uh, what what what's your sense of of your future? Uh, you know, with the Hurricanes, and um, you know, we're always talking about. You know, with coaches, we always know what's going on with their contracts. I'm not going to ask you what's going on with yours, but but how much are you enjoying this, and and you know, how long do you think you want to do it? The great question, Pierre. Uh, you know, I work uh, for Tom Dundon, uh, who's the, probably one of the smartest business people I ever worked with. Uh, he's very uh, involved, uh, as you guys know, uh, particularly on the hockey side. He's very passionate about the team. Mm-hmm. And him and I have a relationship that is very unique. Uh, let's say that we get along very well. Uh, we each have our moments probably with each other, but uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy working with Tom and for Tom. So, you know, it, it's, as you said, you know, I don't know how long I'm going to do this for. You know, it's it's one of these things that I do. If I get up one morning and I say, I don't want to do this anymore, then that'll be enough. And I've had a great run at it. But right now I look forward you know, I've said when I've been in town, not traveling, it was only, I've been here seven years. It was only three days I didn't come to the office. I, I love to come to my office. Every morning I look forward, you know, we played last night. I get home at midnight, five o'clock. I'm back in the office because I just, I, I love the office atmosphere. And so as long as I keep, you know, have that desire, you know, who knows how long it lasts. Well, let me ask you just as a follow-up, and then we'll, we will let you go. Uh, you mentioned Tom Dundon, and, and uh, as an owner, he, ha- he, has, he has approached his position as owner of this team in a way that's, that's really different than a lot of NHL owners, a lot of pro sports owners in general. And I wonder what kind of, um, you know, how you've maybe had to adjust how you approach your job because Tom's approach is also a little bit different. And I've, you know, I've been lucky. I was able to sit in on your draft prep in 2018. And then again, last October being in Raleigh and watching, you know, how involved uh, Tom is on, on a lot of the hockey ops stuff. How has it changed how you've had to approach your job? Because Tom's um, role is a little bit different than other owners. Yeah, no, it's a great question because, you know, if he wasn't so passionate about it and he, he knows more about players than probably a lot of us in the hockey world. You know, he watches more video. He knows the draft, Scott, you said in there. He knows these players. You know, he may not know the skill level, you know, because he's not a purist, but he's watching that video and he does comparison and he's, he's, he's been right a lot more than he's been wrong. And so when somebody's invested that way and they're putting their time in, 
you you got it given the highest mark sport and you know the organization overall you know we're a cap team we're going to be you know a little under the cap this year if we didn't do anything at the deadline but it's because of our overages we're going to have on bonuses or the bonuses this year we wanted to make sure we didn't have any overages so you know he's willing to invest his money he knows what's going to drive our team is invested in the team and that's what he's done and so we got to make sure that we take care of everything else around it to provide the revenue to support this kind of uh team uh, it's a payroll but no tom is uh like i said he is uh, very passionate and our you know for me uh, i just got to make sure that i keep him updated as as much as i can you know we'll talk every day probably eight to ten times a day some of the conversations are short some are longer and it's mostly always about the team and you know from the business side he'll have some ideas once in a while but he pretty much leaves me alone on that and uh and we just have a relationship where i just tell him if there's something i think he's doing that it doesn't make sense or it's not right i just i'm the only one that can really step up and tell him that so you know we, we have huge debates about things at times but at the end of the day we always come up with the the best solution what you know what's best for our franchise well i can tell you scott tries to talk to me eight ten times a day and i i put a kibosh to that i i, I ended those efforts years ago but yeah, yeah that's because i own i don't own anything that's that's the thing i don't have any i don't have any leverage i don't i don't have the assets i need so anyway don it's it's been great to catch up and and uh really enjoyed our chat and uh hopefully uh you know, as this playoff run goes along, maybe we'll all uh, physically be in the same spot at some point uh, in an arena down the road. But uh, thanks so much for hanging out with Pierre and I today, and, and good luck to you and the, the Hurricanes the rest of the way. No, I really appreciate the time with you guys. Obviously, uh, you guys do a great job, and uh, anytime you can, it's my honor to be able to be on your show and uh, give you uh, some thoughts of what's going on here with the Hurricanes and the city of Raleigh. I uh, appreciate that, Don. And what a great story going on down there. Those crazy, crazy Hurricanes fans. Uh, that was amazing to see in game one. Great. Thank you, guys. All right, Pierre. That was, it's, it's always, and as you know, I've known Donnie a long time, as you have, of course, his time here in Atlanta with the Thrashers. I, mm-hmm. I can tell you, I, you know, I got no dog in the fight, right? But I, I think Tom Dundon is pretty darn lucky that he's got, that he and Don Waddell have sort of found each other. Uh, and their relationship, um, because I'm not sure everyone could could work that way as an NHL GM. And I think uh, I think Tom Dundon's lucky, and I think I think Don Waddell has done an unbelievable job because that team. Yeah, listen, whether they make it to a final, as you and I both have predicted uh, this summer or not, that team is built for the long haul, and uh, it, and it, I think it's interesting the dynamic that has has uh, that exists down there. You know, and it's interesting, you know, when Don went to Carolina, it was really to be as president of, of the business operation and yeah. it wasn't to be on the hockey side at all. And, and and then even after, you know, Ron Francis was fired and, and then they had a GM search. Like I remember being extensively reporting on, uh, you know, now they're talking to this candidate, now they're talking to that candidate. And Tom Dundon, frankly, I think if he was on with us, would just say he, he interviewed a lot of people and then realized like, why don't I just have Don Waddell do this? <laughs> and, and and that's what has ended up happening. And, and again, Don Waddell was not trying to get that job. Uh, there's no way, uh, you know. But I think it speaks to his relationship with his owner that when the owner said, you know, why don't you do the GM job? Um, and he said, okay. I mean, it's, it's it's kind of organic the way it all, it all played out. Yeah. I do remember a conversation with Don... And I can't remember whether it was at the draft in 18 when I was sitting in on their room or whenever it was. But I, I remember sort of alluding to, well, well, you know, now that you're back on the hockey side and, you know, and he's, well, wait a minute. Uh, I'm not, I am back on the hockey side, but I haven't given up anything on the business side. I had just assumed, oh, well, Tom Dundon would get somebody else to do that job. But no, Don's done both jobs, uh, you know, right from the, you know, from the moment he took on the GM role. So lots of. He's a, he's a busy man, Don Waddell. So, and it was great to catch up with him. All 
right, my friend. Back at, and every week I say, you know, when when are we going to get a sponsorship for Ask the Dorks? That's what I. Come on, <laughs> somebody out there. I I just had a Duncan. Uh, you're not much of a Duncan guy, but uh, I, I don't mind. I don't mind Duncan. Uh, yeah. No, my uh, as you know, my favorite coffee uh, is owned by Jason Spetz's mother-in-law. Muskoka coffee. <laughs> That's right. And you know, I've had some Muskoka coffee up at your place, it's, and it is very tasty. I drink it. Very uh, tasty. It's sold in Toronto now, and and it's available everywhere. And believe me, I get no cut from this. This is yeah. from the heart. I know. Good uh, stuff. Muskoka well, good coffee, for Jason. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Spetsa just about to finally getting back into the playoff uh, groove when the when the Leafs opening against the Habs. How exciting! Uh, all right. So uh, a couple of questions here. One from Scott M. Crouch and another from Johnson from Wisconsin that track a parallel path. And and, and really curious about our take on Dean Evason's decision to start the playoffs. Uh, head coach of the Minnesota Wild, of course, uh, start the playoffs with the veteran forward Zach Parise as a healthy scratch. Mm-hmm. Parise, 36 years old, uh, under contract through 2024-25 at a 7.538461 million dollar cap hit. Uh, has a no-move clause. Uh, which, what? So what happens? And we talked a little bit earlier in, in uh, you know, what happens... Um, you know what happens with Sergey Bobrovsky, given you know the playoff decisions in in Florida. Uh, what what do you make of this? What's what does this mean? And and who knows? Now the series tied one one coming home. Do you think we'll see Zach Parise? What, what do you make of the whole Zach Parise thing? Yeah, well, obviously Mike Russo's chron- chronicled this at length, and yes. uh, it's it's controversial for sure, especially because it, it, it's in, what's interesting about it is that. Often you'll see the opposite, that, that sometimes the, the, the veteran will get the benefit of the doubt and at least get game one. And then if, if he's ineffective, then at least you can say he got his chance and then and then you can take him out of the lineup. Like I think about the way Dominic Ducharme has gone about it with the Habs. All the, you know, the vets get in and the kids are sitting out for, for, for game one, right? Right. Um, and, and you can disagree or agree with it, but I'm just saying it seems to be more the norm. Um, and, and this this might be hard to repatriate at the end of the season between Parise and the organization, right? He's a proud guy and been there a long time. But let's also be honest. We know that there was nearly a trade between the Wild and the Islanders a couple of years ago at the deadline. Right. Exactly. See, well, it feels like a couple of years ago. I guess it was Two actually last ago. season before the pandemic. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, yes. And, yeah. uh, and Before the pause. Yeah. And I remember uh, Russo and Frank Cervelli having a lot of details on that when it broke. Um, which would not have pleased Blue Umbrella that it, that it got out there. But, <laughs> you know, what do you do next? I mean, the actual cash goes down on Parise starting next year. He goes down to six. And after that, it's two million a year and then one million a year, one million a year. So the actual cash component of it goes down after this year. But the seven five cap, it remains, of course, the way the system works. And we're in a flat cap environment. So uh, you never say it's impossible to move him because I think teams are really creative and again there might be a contract that goes the other way that a team's trying to get rid of like who knows but you know it's tough it's tough and usually the you know usually the the player involved is the last one to perhaps feel like like this is justified I don't blame them especially such a terrific guy like Zach Grise so it's kind of sad to see yeah, it is. Well, it, it means part of the emotion of it, right? And, you know, I've known that, like you, I've known Zach a long time. I think of him, you know, on that Devils team that went to the final in uh, 2012, the captain there. And, uh, you know, just, yeah, there's a and, and But I, I got to tell you, I just have so much so much respect for Bill Guerin and Dean Evason because you're absolutely right, right? The easy call, the easy thing mm-hmm. to do is have them in the lineup, right? Like, that's just, okay, whatever, right? You take out Rask or you take out Marcus Johansson, whatever you're going to do. But, you know, clearly within the organization is what, what lineup gives us the best chance to beat Vegas? And I'm not sure you can argue, not even just in the playoffs, but down the stretch when Parise, you know, was first not in the lineup, that... The, the results on the ice uh, justify what Dean Evason and, and Bill Guerin are doing. And that's right. And, 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 and if you look, if you think about the pretense of why Bill Guerin was brought in as GM and the Bill Guerin regime in Minnesota has been about that the status quo isn't good enough. And this team has now gone to another level with Bill Guerin that it hadn't before. But part of that is ruffling some feathers. And, and we think about trading Eric Stahl. Yes. Which no one saw coming. And Eric Stahl was really good in Minnesota. But Bill Guerin's like, you know what? We've got to make changes here. So, uh, 
in the context of what Bill Guerin's time has been so far in Minnesota, it's not shocking at all that they'd be willing to, to sit out Zach Parise. Yeah. All right. Let's finish up. We got two more, and both of them are, are connected to the, the Canadians. This one, I think, is probably an easier one. This is from CG, um, who wonders whether it's feasible that Shea Weber gets exposed in the expansion draft. Um, younger players coming up, uh, all those kinds of things. Um, Shea Weber, just as we look at it here, under contract through twenty five twenty six at a seven point eight five seven million dollar annual cap hit uh has no protection so it he can be exposed but it strikes me that that's unlikely but i don't know what do you yeah, what do you make I of think that? Yeah. i think it's unlikely i mean first yeah. of all if mark bergman is still gm and and there's no evidence suggests he won't be at this point but we'll see after the season um mark bergman has uh, 13 months left on his contract as gm so it's it's an interesting offseason I think if you're Jeff Molson, you you obviously, and I think some of those conversations have already, some of them have happened, but more will happen after the season is, you know, where are we headed here? It's his ninth year, but I think Jeff Molson thinks highly of Mark Bergevin. So I don't know that you want Mark Bergevin to walk into next year on an expiring deal in that market. <laughs> so, so that'll be a big decision. But as long as Bergevin's GM, I think his relationship and loyalty to Shea Weber, you, you know that I've asked Mark Bergevin a few times over the last couple of years what his number one trade has been in nine years in Montreal. And you're talking about a guy who's made a lot of good trades, right? I mean, trading for Josh Anderson, trading for Jeff Petrie, trading for Phil Deneau from Chicago for a couple of expiring deals. He's made a lot of good ones, but he never hesitates. Shea Weber's his number one trade. And, and a lot of it is just that he... He brought in this ultimate captain who helped change the culture in that room. And, and so I, I, I find it hard to believe that that would be likely. It, it, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, when I was reading the question, I was like, well, I'm with you. I, don't, I think it's unlikely. But the, the other part of it, right, he's 35 years old. He still has – it's a big hit against the cap. And it's – you know, there's a lot left on it. And to me – and maybe there's no guarantee. But if you're Ron Francis – I don't know, like for the very same reason you just articulated why Mark Bergerman feels so strongly about this deal. If if for some reason Shea Weber is exposed, I, I can't think of a better person to have in your locker room in Seattle mm. to start your NHL life. I just I can't imagine it. And even, you know, even at the, the big hit and, and the long term, I can't imagine it wouldn't be a great fit if, if you're Ron Francis. But anyway, it's interesting. Well, but, and keep in mind that... that- we have to stop looking at the expansion draft as the only vehicle for Seattle to acquire players. Right. Uh, yeah. the Seattle, the expansion draft certainly forces a lot of decisions and there will be players obviously acquired through it, the majority of their players. But at the end of the day, if Seattle has an appetite for a certain veteran player, um, it could just be a trade. It could be going to an organization and to that player and to his agent and saying, wouldn't you love this transition? Wouldn't you love to be part of this? We'll put a letter on you. And I'm not talking about Jay Weber in particular. I'm talking about anyone, name the player. And But that could be just a simple trade. It could have nothing to do with the expansion draft. So keep that in mind, too. I mean, there's a lot of different ways here for Seattle to, to go about you know, how they put this together. All right. Finally, we're going to close with a question from our good friend Al in Ottawa, who sends us a question every week. I love that. And he it doesn't care whether we use one or not, but they're often quite good. Although one last, one week ago, he uh, asked a question that referred to a time I was playing men's league hockey in Ottawa and was uh, um, trash talking a guy who threw me to the ice and kicked me in the head. And he asked a question about uh, throwing blood on people. So we didn't get to that one, but uh, can you imagine that that happened? Cause you played some hockey with me. Like I, doesn't and, that seem and, out of and, and I think that's, uh, I mean, if anyone should be thrown to the ice, it's me. Cause I, I, I was a lot more <laughs> abrasive than you on the ice. You, you were, you were always our lady big guy. I thought very <laughs> gentlemanly like on the ice and, and, it's very uh, true. Geez, well, I, guess, I guess that guy just didn't like redheads. I, I guess know. not. Maybe. Anyway, Al's question, which is a good one because it, it, you touched on it uh, earlier in the podcast, and that is the decision um, uh, from uh, Coach Ducharme and the Montreal Canadiens to to keep some of the younger players on the bench to start the series against Toronto, go with a more veteran lineup. And, and Al's mm-hmm. question about Jasperi Kotkiemi 
whose name I never quite say properly, but you know who I'm talking about. Takanyami. Takanyami. Um, you know, does it, cause does this indicate a dissatisfaction beyond the start of the playoffs that this is maybe a player who doesn't have a role with this team? I mean, it's, he's 20 years old, but he, it, he has been, you know, he's, he feels like he's been in the league a lot longer than he has because he's he's sort of he's been you know he's still super young which i think people keep forgetting when they talk about him but it has the second half of this year was disappointing for him obviously as you know i do a lot of the house games on tsn exactly um it's been tough very little offensive impact um i think it's affected his confidence um you know it doesn't really affect his role moving forward in the sense that you know, Eric Stahl right now is taking his place in the lineup in game one. Eric Stahl's UFA at the end of the year, right? So, so you know, Kakanyemi is one of Montreal's centers starting next season. But, but it's, you know, it, it, remember a year ago before the pandemic, people kind of forget this, especially outside of Montreal because so much has happened. But Kakanyemi was sent back to Laval for a reset. Right. Uh, and, and, and then had a, a pretty good run in the bubble. And it was like, oh, all is forgotten. But um, after a strong start this year, um, you know, I, I think he, he really has struggled in the second half, and that's what Dominic Charm sees. But pretty sure we're going to see him in the series. Like, yeah, I, I have a feeling he's going to be all hands on deck for the Habs if they're chasing the series, and there's going to be a lot of roster changes. So I don't get too worked up about who's in the lineup game one. Right. You know, let's talk about it all at the end of the series. All right. Buddy, that was outstanding. Uh, what else we got on? <laughs> so we we have Craig Cus- Craig Cussins and Sean Gentili. They debuted the Athletic Hockey Show Tuesday edition, and basically they're only allowed to talk about American players because that, that was in response to <laughs> a complaint about us talking, you know, Canadian side. So good for them. And uh, just to prove the point, they had one of the greatest American goaltenders of all time, Ryan Miller, who we spoke about. You know, we're not we don't talk just about Canadian here, and so. Anyway, they have Ryan Miller on their first show this week. Aaron Andrews. What a great story Aaron Andrews is. Mm. Uh, Longtime hockey fan, of course. Spends a full 60 with Craig Custance on the season finale of the full 60. Yeah, Thursday on the Athletic. Season finale? Yeah. Well, that's because he's got got full-time talking about American hockey players now. He's got to do that (laughs) afterwards. Uh, Also, Seattle Kraken play-by-play voice, John Forslund. uh, John Forslund is such a – he's one of the – he's A, one of the greatest broadcasters. I think he calls a great, great game. For sure. Uh, It's so excited for Seattle that he's going there. But he (laughs) – I don't know when he rests. It's like, you know, every night we're like, oh, is that John Forslund? Yeah. Every night he's doing a game during the playoffs. Uh, anyway, he joins Mike Russo on Straight from the Source this week at The Athletic. And Mike Russo, I just wish you would do some work, right? Just uh, coasting <laughs> along there. But no, great work by Mike as always. And you should listen to that. You should also check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Next week, my friend, we will know what the narrative is in the North Division, the Canadian playoffs. And and of course, you know, I, I, I grew up a Habs fan. I grew up Toronto, Montreal. Can't wait to see how that unfolds. It's going to be great drama. And I can't wait to catch up next week with you on all of those topics and more. Right on. Right on. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.